Award-winning author Barbara Kingsolver has written more than a dozen books, including The Bean Trees, The Poisonwood Bible, and Prodigal Summer. We talked to her back in 2007 about Animal Vegetable Miracle, the true story of moving her family from Arizona to Virginia and pledging to eat only locally grown food for a year. Well, Barbara Kingsolver's newest novel, Flight Behavior, is also set in Appalachia in Tennessee. Barbara, thanks for coming to tell us about it. Thanks. It's great to be back here. Well, first off, how are things on the farm? I understand you're still living in, uh, what is it, western Virginia and eating only what you and your neighbors uh, can grow? Southwestern Virginia, right. We're in regionally. We're in southern Appalachia. There are a lot of farms around us, and so um, yes, we have really no trouble at all surviving very well on locally produced food. And so, you what you raise sheep? You have uh... we raise sheep for both wool and meat, and we have a large vegetable garden. But so do almost all the people around us. Now, I have to say that your latest book, Flight Behavior, starts out. Well, it's kind of mysterious at the beginning. Your protagonist, Della Robia, is headed off into the woods. Uh, it's a back lot on her Tennessee sheep farm, and she's on her way to meet a man and, and have an affair. Uh, she's going to give up her kids. She's going to give up all that farm life. But then she sees something that makes her change her mind. Can you tell us about that? Yes. She's marching up this mountain to, um, she's at the end of her rope. She doesn't really want to wreck her life, but she has to wreck her life. She's stopped along the way by the sight of what looks to her like a valley of trees on fire. These trees are all glowing orange. And she becomes convinced that it's a miracle. It's like her burning bush. And she turns around and runs back down the hill, picks up her kids and decides to straighten out her life. Well, soon enough, she finds it's not a miracle. It's a freakish biological event caused most likely by climate change. And I really hate to give away what it is, but it is. It's, <laughs> but So we'll just okay. have a warning here. Turn the radio down for a few minutes here and come back uh, if you want to be surprised. Alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Otherwise, okay. go ahead. Tell us what uh, it's. An immense congregation of monarch butterflies. Normally, these butterflies congregate, aggregate for the winter in uh, the mountains, high mountains of central Mexico. In this case, I imagined a circumstance in which their migratory system is so disrupted that they would shift their aggregation to very similar mountains in southern Appalachia. What would happen if this happened is that it would be touch and go because this is a much colder winter in southern Appalachia, and most likely in the course of this winter, the whole species is going to freeze to death. So, of course, you, Barbara Kingsolver, you train deeply in science. I have uh, a Bachelor of Science, a Master's in Ecology and Evolutionary Biology, and actually I was in a Ph.D. program. I got, I did everything but finish the dissertation. I defected at the last minute when I sort of realized that this dissertation, if I finished it, would reach probably and impress maybe 11 or 12 people in the world. And I had this idea I could shoot for an even bigger audience than that. In this novel, uh, Flight Behavior, you spend a lot of time on science. It, it may be a fiction that the monarchs are taking up residence, uh, winter residency in, in Tennessee, but uh, after that, all the science that you have in there, to my read, is, is accurate. Um, Thank you. Tell me more, actually, about the science of these monarch butterflies and why you use this as a teaching tool for Della Robia and the people around her. I just had this vision of the monarchs roosting in an Appalachian hollow. 
that's sort of the magic. Writing a novel is 99% labor and 1% magic. But I recognized immediately it would be a really great prime mover for a novel because there is so much truth. Already there are plenty of well-documented circumstances in which animals that are less adaptable than we are are getting shifted in ways that are both incongruous and fatal to them. At one point, Delarobia in this novel is trying to explain what she has learned because she comes to be uh, actually in the employ as a sort of low-level lab tech for the scientist that comes in to study this. So she's learning all this stuff and she's trying to translate it into terms that her friends and her poor husband, Cobb, who's kind of a dim bulb, he's really sweet, but not very bright. She's trying to explain it, and she says, it's like they're directed by cues that they can't change. They have to follow the signs. So she says, it's like if you followed the signs to the grocery store every week, and you went to the food king, and then one week, you followed the same signs exactly the same way, and you ended up at the auto parts store. What would you eat? The science around these monarch butterflies is really fascinating, that they make these generational migrations, for instance. Can you tell us Mm -hmm. more about that? It's something to knock your socks off. The monarch that is in your yard in the fall, maybe in Connecticut or Maine or Minnesota, that monarch that is about to turn around and head for Mexico has never been in Mexico. Its parents were never in Mexico So if you picture this as a big circle, the monarchs that spend the winter in Mexico on those high, cool mountains suddenly wake up in March. They go crazy in this mating frenzy. The females head for dear life towards Texas, towards the first unfurling milkweed plants in what's called the spring range across southern Texas. They get there just in time to lay eggs and die. Then the next generation hatches, eats those milkweed leaves, flies a little farther north to where the next sort of where spring is coming and milkweeds are coming out in uh, sort of across the southern tier of the United States. They die. Those eggs hatch into butterflies that fly even farther north, all the way up into Canada. They die, and their offspring go back to Mexico. How does a brain the size of a pinhead, tell them how to get someplace they've never been. Year after year, century after century, they've been doing this for thousands of years. And now suddenly it is getting disrupted. Not precisely as I've portrayed it in this novel, but that is a potentially real scenario. I actually tracked down, I did a lot of research on monarchs, obviously, and I tracked down the world's foremost experts, notably Dr. Lincoln Brower, And I laid this scenario on him, and I was afraid he would laugh me out of the laboratory. But no, he said, I said, is this at least plausible? And he said, yes, it is. And let's talk about why and how that could be true. And is that when you walked out of his lab feeling really sad? Yes and no. I knew when I entered this novel how serious this is, how far along this scary road we have gone. There's a moment in the novel when Ovid is trying to explain to the reporter how bad things are. He says, we are perched at the top of Niagara Falls. We can't just take a leisurely swim back upstream when we get over our denial. Does this strike you, he asks, as a good time to be debating the existence of the falls? 
I know where we are. I've been following this a long time. I'm a scientist. You know, I believe science. I guess it makes me feel a little better to know I'm talking about it. I'm not in denial. I'm doing the best I can to encourage a conversation and maybe illuminate some of the reasons why we're failing to converse. That's the best I could hope for. So let's talk a little bit about your protagonist here, okay. Della, Della Robia. She got into this marriage that she was going to throw away because, uh, well, it was a shotgun wedding, we, we would say. Right. right? She's, she, whatever big ideas she might have had about her life in high school, uh, she gave up when she got pregnant and uh, married at 17. So she's very constrained by her circumstances. So this event brings Della Robia for the first time in contact with journalists from the outside world, with tourists, with scientists, and and really with science, with a scientific way of evaluating what she sees. Now, there's a great passage in your book that I think really exemplifies the uh, different camps that people fall into when it comes to believing in climate change. It starts on page uh, 320. Della Robia is talking to, uh, to Ovid, the butterfly scientist. Could you read that for us, please? Sure. He says, science doesn't tell us what we should do. It only tells us what is. And Delarobia responds, that must be why people don't like it. Ovid seems startled. They don't like science? I'm sorry, she says. I'm probably speaking out of turn here. You've explained to me how big this is, the climate thing, that it's taking out stuff we're counting on, but other people say just forget it. My husband, guys on the radio, they say it's not proven. Ovid says, What we're discussing is clear and present, Delarobia. Scientists agree on that. These men on the radio, I assume, are non-scientists. Why would people buy snake oil when they want medicine? That's what I'm trying to tell you. You guys aren't popular. Maybe your medicine's too bitter, or you're not selling to us. Maybe you're writing us off, thinking we won't get it. Ovid nodded slowly. We were not always unpopular, scientists. Fifteen years ago, people knew about global warming, at least in a general way, you know, he says. In surveys, they would all answer, yes, it exists. It's a problem. Conservatives or liberals, exactly the same. Now there is a divide. Well, yeah, Delarobia says, people sort themselves out. Like kids in a family, you know? They have to stake out their different territories. The teacher's pet or the rascal. I'd say the teams get picked, and then the beliefs get handed around. Team Camo, we get the right to bear arms, and John Deere, and the canning jars, and tough love, and taking care of our own. The other side wears, I don't know what, something expensive. They get recycling and population control and lattes and as many second chances as anybody wants. Dr. Byron looked stupefied. Della Robia as a character I find just fascinating. People who would like to sell a lot of books in America typically don't write about really poor people. And Della Robia is a pretty close to the bottom. I mean, she's uh, struggling uh, to even buy her kids uh, presents for, for Christmas in a dollar store. You're right. Poverty is an important part of the grounding of this novel. And this is the culture I wanted to describe and then move you into a conversation with yourself about environmentalism. And I think the environmental movement in this country and in the world 
may often be failing to take into account class. Indeed, because you have this scene a bit later. She's with an activist who's come to her, her farm. He's handing out leaflets, and he's trying to get people to sign a pledge to reduce her carbon footprint. But it turns out she's doing just about everything that's on her list. It's completely irrelevant to her life. You know, she, he goes down this checklist. And it starts with, you know, take your own silverware when you dine out. And she says, I haven't been to a restaurant in over two years. And that was, you know, restaurant being the Dairy Queen or something. He says, OK, well, eat less red meat. And she sort of wishes she could eat red meat. And he says, turn down the thermostat. And she's trying to keep the electricity on in her house. It's been shut off several times already in the, during this novel because she couldn't pay the bills. This is a moment when she is beginning to get that as, as humans on the earth, we've passed some kind of point where we're, we're going to have to start to rein ourselves in, rein in our consumption. And she's seeing that she never got there in the first place. This is what a lot of people on planet Earth are being asked to do, rein themselves in when they never quite got there in the first place. Well, I guess we don't want to give away the ending here. Uh, we don't. We can't say whether the butterflies might survive this Tennessee winter or... or we cannot. Darobia we cannot. ...would want to stay on the farm. So instead, I, I think I need to ask you, Barbara Kingsolver, what do you do next? Uh, can we expect more works on the environment? Climate change? I think you can. I think you can expect that I will always write about things that seem to matter to me and to matter to my readers, because a novel is an audacious act. I'm asking you, okay, set aside your life for, let's say, eight or ten hours, and listen to me. I come from a culture of modesty. You know, we Southerners don't say, sit down and listen to me. We say, what do you think of this? I promise you, I'm not going to ask you to give yourself over to a whole novel unless it's going to rattle at the cage of humans in the world a little bit. And so that's what you can expect of me. Barbara Kingsolver's latest book is entitled Flight Behavior. Thank you so much for taking this time today. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Mm -hmm.